So uh, we're in July, and this is a month that each year our elders set aside uh, for Jared, our normal preacher, uh, to, to pray, to study, and to prepare for the year that is to come. And uh, I think that's a pretty wonderful thing that, that uh, yeah, thanks, Glenn. Um, so, so this week, uh, instead of hearing Jared, our, our normal preacher, you're going to hear from me. Uh, I'm Stephen. I'm the communications minister here. Next week, you're in for a treat. Randy Harris will be uh, bringing the word to us. The week after that, it will be Keith Clark. And then on July 28th, our student ministry team, led by Josh and Holly, will give a missions report. Uh, so I say that all to say, if you can somehow manage through today's sermon, it's going to get better. I promise. Okay? Let's pray together uh, before we begin. Father, we, uh, we thank you for this opportunity to worship you and to be here in this place with these people. And Father, we approach uh, this time, we approach your word with openness. Uh, we approach you ready to be spoken to by your spirit. Uh, we come to you ready to be convicted of, of whatever it is we need to hear and be convicted of. Uh, so please speak to us, uh, pass the words that, that I speak. Um, may your spirit speak to us each in a way that we need to hear this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to be uh, sharing a story this morning from Mark chapter 2. So I invite you, if you have a Bible, if you have a, a device where you can uh, turn there, to turn to Mark chapter 2. I'll start reading in verse 1 of Mark 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. Now let me stop for a second there. Some of y'all are like, wait a second, Capernaum, Jesus' home? I thought that Jesus was from Nazareth. And it's true, Jesus was from Nazareth. He, he grew up in Nazareth, the son of Mary and Joseph. Uh, but apparently, somewhere along the way, he moved. Um, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, Matthew writes this. Now, when Jesus heard that John the Baptist was arrested, he went to Galilee. He left Nazareth and settled in Capernaum, which lies along the sea in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. So Jesus was in Capernaum in this story in Mark chapter 2, which was, at the time, apparently his hometown, and then things got a little weird. I'll pick back up there in Mark chapter 2. People gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and Jesus preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them, and since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Now, there are a lot of lessons that we can take from this really neat little story uh, but there's a verse that I want us to focus on this morning. In fact, there's a phrase within a verse that I want us to focus on today. The verse is verse 5, and the phrase is this, when Jesus saw their faith. 
when Jesus saw their faith. Now, this is an unusual phrase uh, because faith isn't normally something that, that we think about as being a visible thing. Usually when we think about faith, we think of something that happens deep within a person's mind and heart and soul. Uh, It's not something that you can point to. It's not something that even shows up like on on an x-ray or a CAT scan. One article I read this week defined faith as an intellectual and emotional disposition. It's not tangible. It cannot be seen literally. And yet Jesus saw faith. To Jesus, faith was something that was visible and observable, and measurable. So some of you might, might hear this and think, that, that sounds kind of cool. This, this kind of reminds me of like Superman. You know, Superman who could, could fly around and who, who had x-ray vision and could like see through walls and see things that normal people like you and me couldn't see. Okay, so it's like Jesus has this superpower. He can see people's faith. Like his, his sight can penetrate through what, what normal people can't see and, and he can see this thing called faith. It's like a superpower that Jesus has. But I don't think that, that this is talking about Jesus have, having some sort of a superpower when it, it says that Jesus saw their faith. I don't think that a superpower enabled him to do that. I think when the Bible says that Jesus saw their faith, it simply means that faith, true faith, is always visible. Even to regular people. Faith is meant to be seen. James, who was the brother of Jesus, uh, spent about a, a chapter of his book, the book of James, writing about this. I want to read you a few excerpts from the book of James, chapter 2. James writes, What good is it if people say they have faith, but nothing, do nothing to show it? Faith is dead when it doesn't result in faithful activity. I will show you my faith by the good I do. As the lifeless body is dead, so faith without actions is dead. Paul Harvey said it this way, If you don't live it, You don't believe it. Faith is supposed to be visible. Faith is supposed to be expressed in faithful action, in visible, observable action. So my son and I went on a trip. We got back about 10 days ago uh, from Africa. It was a great trip. uh, And I must say, we saw a lot of faith on that trip. And here's what visible faith looked like on our trip to Africa. Visible faith looked like a woman named Carla Dean Thompson, who is a single, some might say older, white lady who lives in the middle of Nairobi, Kenya. She's a woman who claims dozens of former street kids as her sons. And she devotes her time and energy to teaching the gospel and to training others to discover and use their gifts in the kingdom of God. That's what visible faith looked like. Visible faith looked like a retired basketball coach named Tony Malden, who's sitting right back there, by the way, just got back from from Africa himself. And Tony lives months each year in the slums of Mathari, Kenya, helping provide food and education and love and the good news of Jesus to the poorest of the poor in that area of the world. That's what visible faith looked like. Visible faith looked like a Rwanda genocide survivor named Serge Gasori who has established this amazing campus uh, in his home village with a Christian school and a medical clinic, job training, family training center, so much more. I could go on and on. All in the name of Jesus, all of it benefiting families in his home village in the place where he saw his family killed. That's what faith looked like. Carla Dean and Tony and Serge are bringing people to the feet of Jesus 
because of their extraordinary faith that is expressed in extraordinary measures. They have done the equivalent of of digging a hole in a roof and dropping people that they care about at the foot of Jesus where they can experience physical healing and spiritual healing. But I got to say, you don't have to go to the other side of the world to see visible faith like that. We celebrated it this morning uh, with Ryan's baby blessing, didn't we? When we saw Michael and Emily stand on this stage with three beautiful children that they have prayed for, that they have shed tears for, that they have fought for, in order to adopt them into their loving family where those kids are going to know Christ's love and every aspect of their lives will be impacted in a positive way. I could say the same thing about the Day family. I could say the same thing about the Tidmore family and so many others of you in this room. So as I look at the example of the man that's lowered through the roof in Mark chapter 2, and as I think of Carla Dean and Tony, uh, Serge, and, and the Brenningers, I think if, if I were to kind of sum it all up and, and put it to words what a visible faith looks like defined, I would use these words. Visible faith looks like people taking risks and making sacrifices for other people, particularly people in need. That's what faith looks like. Now, there was a time I probably would have said that faith looked like this. Visible faith looks like getting baptized. Or I would have said visible faith looks like taking communion or or raising your hands as you sing worship songs. And please hear me, I don't want to minimize any of those things at all. But the simple fact is, those aren't the things that Jesus saw in this story when he saw faith. What Jesus saw when he saw faith was four guys helping a sick person in need. In other places in the Bible, that's the kind of faith that God talks about wanting his people uh, to exhibit. A couple of examples. This one's from Isaiah chapter 1, where, where God speaks to his people through Isaiah the prophet. He says, when you extend your hands, as in in worship, uh, I'll hide my eyes from you. Even when you pray for a long time, God says, I won't listen. The point he's making here is that God wants more than just for us to go through the motions and worship, especially if, if we're not living the right kind of lives. He goes on, your hands are stained with blood, wash, be clean, remove your ugly deeds from my sight, put an end to such evil, learn to do good, seek justice, and here we go, help the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. That's the kind of faith God wants to see in our lives. We see it again in the New Testament, James chapter 1. James writes, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. My friends, faith is a visible thing. And faith looks like people taking risks and making sacrifices for other people, particularly those who are in need. Now, I've already said it. Many of you have that, that sort of a visible faith. I, I, I've seen it in a lot of your lives. My guess is, though, that there's some of you in this room that are like, man, I, I want to do that. I, I don't know how to do that. Like, I, I need an opportunity to do that. Well, let me, let me showcase a few, okay? On the screens behind me, you're going to see some opportunities that this church uh, either has coming up or is a part of indirectly. The first, uh, a lot of you have already signed up for, the Kids Eat Free program. Uh, that's a, a thing where people in our community, families, children, uh, who normally defend, depend on the uh, free and reduced school lunch program that runs 49 weeks out of the year, 
there's a three-week gap where that program doesn't run. And our church and other churches in our community are stepping up to provide some, some free lunches for those families. Uh, you can read more about it in your bulletin, but you can sign up. That's a good way to, to make a sacrifice for someone in need. Or you can join one of the many uh, organizations that our church is connected with. I've highlighted four. Big Brothers Big Sisters, Christian Service Center, CASA, Habitat for Humanity. i got to say, it's a little ironic that I'm plugging Habitat for Humanity on a day where we're reading a story about people tearing a hole in a roof. I, I get that, but... Reach out to these organizations and say, I, I want to do something for someone in need. I want to make a sacrifice. I want to, I want to do something that costs me something to benefit someone in need. I, I want to exhibit my faith in that way uh, and, and get involved in, in one of these or, or another worthy uh, operation in our community. I, I hope you will. There are people in need all around us, my brothers and sisters. And we can, we can point to the need, but that's not going to exhibit faith. We, we can feel sad about the need. That's not faith. Uh, we, can, we can post our feelings about the need on social media, but that's not showing faith. Showing faith means doing something. It means taking risks. It, may, it means making sacrifices. That's what faith looks like. Now let me step to the side for a second, and I, I feel the need to talk about this. I believe that faith is supposed to be visible, but at the same time, I, I think we got to acknowledge that there are instances where our faith is supposed to be invisible. And Jesus talked about that, Sermon on the Mount. For instance, when, when we pray, Jesus says we're supposed to go uh, to a place where we're by ourselves, we're to close the door, we're, we're supposed to pray in secret, in private, so we're not seen by anybody. And Jesus modeled a, a faith like that. He had invisible parts of his faith. We read about that in Mark chapter 1, just right before the story of the guy being lowered through the roof. Mark 1.35 says this, Early in the morning, well before sunrise, Jesus rose and went to a deserted place where he could be alone in prayer. See, Jesus modeled that it was important to have that, that private, invisible component to faith. He prayed by himself, alone, invisible to others, but... He didn't stop there. If you keep reading, four verses later, we read that Jesus went throughout Galilee preaching publicly. A few verses after that, he healed a man with a skin disease. The very next story in, in Mark chapter 2, we uh, just read it. Jesus is preaching and, and a man gets lowered who's paralyzed and, and Jesus heals that man. So yes, Jesus definitely possessed this, this private, quiet, invisible faith. But that quiet, private, invisible faith set him up to do things that were visible and public. The, the times he spent alone and in private were not the sole expressions of his faith. They empowered and enabled him to do the public things, preaching, healing, and all the other things that we read about uh, and, and talk about and study today that ended up changing the world. I think that's something that we've got to reflect on uh, in our very busy society that we find ourselves in. I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon, who quoted Martin Luther, he says this, I like that saying of Martin Luther when he says, I have so much business to do today that I shall not be able to get through it with less than three hours prayer. Now, most people would say, I have so much business to do today that I only have three minutes for prayer. I cannot afford the time. But Luther thought that the more he had to do, the more he must pray or else he could not get through it. That's a blessed kind of logic. May we understand it. Indeed, may we understand it. I think at times we feel that we're just too busy to devote those 
those moments to the invisible private parts of our faith. Things like prayer and Bible study and reflection and solitude. But I really believe if we're going to make a difference in our world through the visible actions that are related to our faith, then we've got to spend time strengthening our faith in those quiet, private, invisible moments. Okay, so let's get back to the story of Mark chapter 2 and that phrase in verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith. We've looked at at that phrase, how Jesus saw faith, but I want to take a minute now to, to look at the word that's in between those two words. Jesus saw their faith. Okay, bear with me. I'm going to go a little uh, high school English teacher on you. Um, please hang with me. We're going to look at the, at the context where this was written, uh, verses 3 through 5 of Mark chapter 2. Uh, you're going to notice there, there are some, some pronouns that are highlighted, the pronoun they. Okay, you see they a few times in there. Uh, they, uh, are, we're told, couldn't get him to Jesus. They made an opening in the roof. They lowered the man uh, that the, the paralyzed man was laying on, or the mat, So follow me here. The word they refers specifically to the four friends of Jesus, or of the paralyzed man. The word they does not include the paralyzed man himself. Okay, y'all following that? So verse 4 kind of makes it clear. Let's let's look at verse 4. It says, since they could not get him to Jesus. They is the four friends. Him is the paralyzed man. Okay, they're, they're separate groups. So notice whose faith Jesus sees. He sees their faith. Jesus sees the faith of the four friends and responds to it. Not the faith of the paralyzed man, okay, not the faith of the man who gets his sins forgiven and and his body healed. Jesus doesn't respond to his faith. He responds to the faith of that man's four friends. Uh, Preacher and blogger J.R. Smith puts it this way. He says, all we have to do, or all we have to go by as the text is written is that the paralytic is completely passive and a receiver of every action. He doesn't speak, he doesn't plead, he doesn't, he can't move an inch. And Mark gives zero indication of his spiritual want. Only the faith of the four men is rewarded, though not to the four men. Now that doesn't compute well uh, in our highly individualistic minds and culture, where faith is, is this like private, personal thing. I mean, Christians talk in terms a, a lot of, of how important it is to own their own faith. I, I need to own my own faith. We, we talk about Jesus being our own personal Savior. And while I don't disagree that we need to develop and pursue a personal faith, this story reminds me that it's also important to pursue and develop a community of shared faith with other believers. Think about how this story would have been different if the paralyzed man didn't have four friends in the story, okay? I don't think he would have been able to, to, to make it to Jesus. I don't think he would have been able to receive the healing and the forgiveness that he needed if he didn't have those four friends in his life. But because the man had four friends who knew him, who loved him, and who had a visible faith that was strong enough to make them act boldly on his behalf, the experience led to that man being physically and spiritually healed. So my brothers and sisters, hear me. Yes, faith is a personal thing, but it's also a corporate thing. Faith is both mine and ours. And while we as a 
as a culture seem to be really focused on the personal side of faith, Scripture speaks often about how faith is something that a community experiences and benefits from together. I read an article by an author, Deborah Folletta, uh, where she listed some things that we receive when we share life in community with other believers. And here are a few things that she listed. Community challenge you, challenges you to be more like Jesus. Community meets practical needs. Community carries you emotionally. It reveals your gifts and talents. Community helps meet our love or our need for love. Now, this kind of community, it doesn't just happen. It, it doesn't happen quickly. It doesn't happen easily. It, it certainly doesn't come by, by people showing up at a worship service for an hour a week uh, and then walking out the door and going home. This kind of community uh, takes work and it takes effort. We don't, we don't know the backstory of the paralyzed man who gets lowered through the roof and his four friends, but I'm guessing that they didn't meet each other that morning. My guess is that they probably knew each other for years, maybe decades. Uh, I'm guessing they had a history together where they, they knew each other's stories, where they shared experiences together. I'm guessing there were times where one of those other four guys uh, had a, a crisis or a moment, and, and maybe the paralyzed man and the others kind of surrounded him and helped him out. I'm guessing what I'm trying to say is I'm guessing there was significant investment in these friendships from these four friends and the paralyzed man. And that investment of time and energy and relationship enabled that man to eventually, when the time was right, receive the healing and forgiveness that he needed. And I think it's the same for us. If we want these things from community, it's going to take some work and time. It's going to take sharing moments around dinner tables and coffee tables. It's going to take times of shared recreation and fun and memory making and laughter. It's going to take experiences where we sit together and, and read scripture together and pray together and have spiritual conversations together. It's going to take uh, moments of vulnerability where we kind of expose the, the weakness in our own lives and, and, and get real. And it's going to take us being willing to sit with other people when they're talking about their less than perfect moments. It's going to take work and it's going to take time and it's going to take, yes, risk. But I believe it's worth it. If you really want to understand the importance of, of living in community, of shared faith with a community of believers... I invite you to do what I did this, this past week and look up a blog that uh, Jennifer Hanner kept a few years back when her husband, Hunter, was fighting for his life. A lot of y'all remember that blog. Uh, and post after post, Jennifer points to believers in her life and in Hunter's life who went out of their way to pray for and care for and encourage and, and meet practical needs in that family. There's one post that I'm going to read from here in a second from March 14th, 2015. Jennifer wrote this about the day that Hunter was released from the hospital in Dallas after being there for months uh, and made his way home here to Abilene. And our church community, without, their, without Hunter's knowing, had, had mobilized to, to line the street uh, on Antley, the, the home stretch of that journey. Uh, and many of you were there with signs and, and with waves and smiles on your faces to welcome back this family and this man who had been away for so long. Jennifer wrote this thinking about that experience. 
She said, we were led by a police escort, who is Mike Ricker. You see him grinning there on the, on the motorcycle. For the next two miles, the road was lined with faces that have prayed, encouraged, fed, texted, and served our family. I saw those that just that day lent us a wheelchair ramp, met us after hours to pick up medication, and helped me move furniture to ready the house for a wheelchair. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I don't know how anyone gets through a crisis without a church family. I think if the paralyzed man in Mark chapter 2 was a blogger, his blog would have sounded a lot like Jennifer's. And those of us who have been through dark times, who have made it through those challenging times with the help of a community of faith, can attest to this truth, that there are blessings that we experience when we share life with a, a group of believers that we simply miss out on if we try to do it by ourselves. And those blessings aren't only experienced in times of, of struggle and trial and tragedy. Things like fellowship and accountability and encouragement and mission are things that can be experienced daily when we live in community with other believers. Things like forgiveness and intercessory prayer and mentoring and, and even things like submission are things that we can uh, that we can have regularly in our lives that will make us better people, more Christ-like people. When Jesus saw their faith. Church, visible faith is a powerful and world-changing thing. And shared faith is a powerful and world-changing thing. May we be a church community where both of those things are experienced more and more by more and more of us and more and more people around us. Praise team is going to come up here and sing a song, lead us in a song. Our shepherding couples are going to be back uh, in the foyer waiting to receive any of you that wants to visit with them, to pray with them, to be prayed over by them. You're invited to find them in our foyer as together we stand and sing.